Namaste to all of you. Let us speak a little bit today about the functions and relationships of astrology in yoga, referring to the way we teach astrology within a yoga school, the so-called yogic astrology. Why is it so present in the life of many practical yogis and how do they use it? What do they get out of it? What can you hope to learn from, what can you hope to get as benefits from learning this angle, this particular approach of the yogic astrology? We know from the very beginning as yogis that we are influenced by the universe. We are influenced, we live in like in a cradle in this universe and it influences us uh, both from a chemical standpoint and a physical standpoint. It is the distinction like when you speak about uh, chemistry and physics, like different branches of science. When you speak about chemistry, you speak about the fact that molecules, atoms from the outside, they go in the inside. Molecules and atoms from the inside go to the outside. And there is a chemical interconnection between us and the universe. And if it is a good interaction, healthy, we are healthy, we are in a good shape. And if it's a bad one, then there are all sorts of detriments which can result. In a similar way, the human being is exchanging with the universe not only chemical elements or you know, atoms, molecules, whatever we have there, but it, it is exchanging physical factors. Most of these physical factors, they are translated generically under the very vague term of energy that we exchange energy with the universe. And while some of these energy concepts are very mystical and perhaps not completely proven scientifically in the 21st century, such as, I don't know, we exchange some bioenergy, which is a vague concept with the universe, definitely we do exchange energy in many, many other ways. For example, you put 20 people in one room, those 20 people are generating heat. It's even measured in a unit which is called BTU, body thermal units. And even when you install an AC unit, an air conditioning unit in your house, it tells you that this air conditioning unit has 16,000 BTU. Now, like it, it says how much body heat it can compensate for. So exactly as 20 people being in a room, they generate heat, and heat ultimately is infrared electromagnetic energy, electromagnetic energy in the infrared spectrum. Exactly in the same way, human beings emanate other energies which are less understood or less known by modern science, and human beings also receive other energies that are less understood and less known by modern science. Today, a lot is revolving 
around the knowledge of some of the basic energies. We cannot measure gravitation very accurately and the distortions of the gravitational fields if there is any modulation of the gravitational fields or others. And therefore we don't talk about that. Who emits gravitational energy? Who receives gravitational energy? There is a study made by the inventor of the jet propulsion engine, Henri Quande, who demonstrated that the energetical balance for birds leads to the conclusion that they, would, they should not be able to fly. Like the birds are not eating enough food as to produce enough calories as to fly to the extent where they fly. So even birds, from the standpoint of calories, are a great mystery to science. Is there some other energy involved there? Are birds connected with gravitation or anti-gravitation? Or We don't know. And in school, to make us trust the science which we know until today, until nowadays, we are being told that we know very, very well. The truth is that all the great scientists know that there are a lot of things which we don't know yet. And for example, about gravitation, not much is known. We are in kindergarten. So how does the gravitation from different places and moments in time, the moon becoming now full moon, now new moon, now this, now, how does it influence us? We don't know. There are no studies and we don't have instruments for measuring gravity, producing gravity, producing anti-gravity. Only in the conspiracy theories and in parapsychology and in the fringe science, the science of borderline, where the most bold researchers are going, only there there are some interesting theories about gravitation, anti-gravitation and all that. Also, human beings do not understand what it is to be connected with nuclear interactions, nuclear weak or nuclear strong interactions. And therefore, from the four known chapters of energy that we have today, everybody is focusing on electromagnetic energy. The electromagnetic energy is the alpha and the omega. And if you can explain it with electromagnetic energy, good. And if you, don't exp if you can't explain it with electromagnetic energy, then it becomes rogue science. For example, we know that there is an entanglement of elementary particles which works faster than the speed of light. It has been demonstrated that the spin and other characteristics of elementary particles corresponds to each other faster than the speed of light, practically instantaneously. But what is the energy milieu which allows this transfer? We don't know. And it's like in the school and in generally in the educational systems, nobody tells you that we don't know. Because otherwise you lose confidence in the rest of the science. So it's a sort of a convenient white lie to not mention a lot of things which are unexplained. When you measure all the known energies at full moon, the differences in electromagnetic energy, gravitational energy, nuclear strong and nuclear weak, they are 
less than 1% from full moon to new moon or to other phases of the moon. And yet, on full moon, the emergency rooms in the hospitals get full, the psychiatric hospitals get full, the police gets their hands full, the fire department gets their hands full. It's known statistically that the reaction of humanity and of nature in general to the full moon is disproportionate and it cannot be justified by 1% variation, less than 1% variation in the known energies, which means there is a huge variation in an energy which is not yet known. It's logical to assume that there could be another energy which science doesn't even know by the name yet, and which is very much amplified at full moon. Telepathy in the world of animals has been demonstrated in the 1950s and 60s by military research, both in America and in the communist states. Remember, telepathy is proven. It's scientifically proven that it exists. But it happens, for example, to, to an animal which is in a submarine 1,500 meters down under the sea level, under the ice caps, like far, thousands of kilometers far away. And still the telepathic message is transmitted practically instantaneously. That means that telepathy does not work by electromagnetic waves. It works by other waves which are not yet discovered. As smart and sufficient as we think we are, we actually are in kindergarten from the standpoint of science. There are still many types of energies that we don't even know that they exist. What to mention about controlling them, emitting them, producing them, storing them, or other things like that. And that's why there exists a science which is studying the physical interaction of the body of the human being with the universe. And by physical, I don't mean physical body. It means physics, like non-chemical. You do not interact with the full moon chemically. You do not get telepathy happening chemically. So it must be physically. It must be by energy fields, by fields of energy, by radiations, by vibrations, by oscillations. This is what we are talking about, that the human being is influenced not only chemically, but the human being is influenced by radiations, some known and some unknown. It's extremely primitive to say, oh, they exploded a nuclear bomb in Hiroshima, and therefore there was radiation, and it influenced people, and it got them sick. This is like you try to fix a wristwatch with an axe, with a sledgehammer, you know? It's like, yeah, sure, some energies, if they are extremely strong to the level of damaging your body tissue, we have to acknowledge that they are there. But what about variations in gravitation? What about modulations of the gravitational field, exactly as we have modulations of the electromagnetic field? And this is what radio, internet, television are based on. 
What about other fields of energy which are neither electromagnetic nor gravitational nor nuclear type of energies and which have not been discovered? Therefore, we have, we have to agree that we are influenced by energy, by vibes, by vibrations, by oscillations. How far we are willing to go into accepting which ones of them are there and which ones of them are not there and they are just a figment of one's imagination, that's a very difficult issue and it depends on how open-minded the scientists are. Generally, the scientists that study parapsychology and other such fields of interest, they are more open-minded that there still could be uh, influences that we don't know much about and that one day we will. One such constant influence, constant influence to the human beings is given by three different levels. One I would call the stars or the background. Imagine if our solar system has a diameter of, I can't even tell you, one, I don't know, how one billion, one and a half billion kilometers in diameter, like all the way to the orbit of Neptune or Pluto or the Kuiper belt or whatever. Now, let's say there is 10 billion years and therefore everything which is outside of those 10 billion kilometers Everything in a sphere which is more than 10 billion kilometers around the sun, that would be the outside sphere. And there you have stars and something which we could call the background. The background. I compare it in my yogic astrology workshops with a microwave oven. It's like we are, there is a sphere bigger than 10 billion kilometers and everything from beyond there irradiates upon us. And it irradiates generally beneficially, right? We have grown on this planet. We have appeared as a species. We are living. We are surviving. Yeah? So I'm not talking about damaging radiations or anything scary. I'm talking about the background radiation from this universe, which is coming from the stars and whatever else is out there in that sphere, which is more than 10 billion kilometers around the solar, around the sun, around our solar system. The second layer is inside the solar system, and those are the planets, the asteroids, the planetoids, the different other celestial bodies, which are way closer. These are moving relatively faster. We can see them moving sometimes and they have their influence in this big radionic system that there is a background radiation from the stars and the universe. There is something happening inside the solar system which is between us and that background and then we should not ignore the Earth's energy aura that when they get really close to the Earth then there is a sort of a aura, an energy field of the earth. And as the energy reaches to us, it filters for 60 kilometers or 100 kilometers. It filters through this energy field as well. No? Like, for example, we always see the daylight and the sky as being blue. But it's not blue, right? If the earth's atmosphere would be removed, the sky would be black 
and the sunlight and the starlight would be very powerful, like in a crystal clear night. But because the light of the sun interferes with the air element, with the molecules of air from the atmosphere, it appears to us that the sky is blue, which is, of course, an illusion, an optical illusion, which is very beautiful. We all like to look at the blue sky, and we all like the color of the blue sky. So, the energy comes one way from far away, it interacts in a certain way with the planets and the other celestial bodies, and when it reaches to the Earth, here it suffers one final modification, because it filters through the layer, through the buffer, through the protective layer of the Earth's atmosphere, magnetic field, and other things which are there. Some of them we know, some of them we don't even know what they are called or what causes them. Well, the science which studies these influences, in the Western culture at least, is called astrology. Astrology studies what is happening with the influence from the heavens, from the planets, and from the domification from the earth, from the house in which we live, that the earth itself has different energies here and there, depending on the hour of the day, the angles in which the radiations penetrate, even location, geographical location, and a lot of other things. Therefore, this astrology has regarded us from a parapsychological standpoint, so I'm trying to give you first a rational scientific angle to it. This astrology can be regarded at two levels. There is a simple level of astrology, which simply says we are constantly bombarded by energy, and this energy is kaleidoscopic, it's changing, because the stars are not changing very much. No, like the stars today are pretty much the way the stars were 30 years ago or 40 years ago when you were born. There's no much change in the heavens, in the skies, in the background. They change, but extremely slowly, and in a human lifetime, that change is practically inexistent. So, the, we are bombarded by energy, which comes from the background, the planets and the moon and this, which move all the time, and things which happen on Earth, which also change all the time. Like, for example, climatic changes, other and other. Pollution, electromagnetic pollution, other things which happen here on Earth in our environment. And therefore, the simple level of astrology is studying this energy influences. A typical example is the medical astrology which simply says that certain types of energy, certain parts of the body, certain functions are influenced more or less due to some of these energetical influences. And these energies that we talk about, some of them are known energies and some of them are yet unknown. This sufficiency of modern science, which is trying to falsely convince people that they know all about all the energies which might ever exist, is simply a scientific lie. It's a big, fat scientific lie because 
there are clear experiments from telepathy experiments to Wilhelm Reich's organ experiments, from the vital force of Reichenbach and um, Samuel Hahnemann, and going on to the experiments in gravitation of... um, I forgot the name right now. It doesn't come of the scientist with uh, of Schauberger of uh, the Austrian scientist who studied the energies of the water element. And the list could continue. I could give you now. I could give you now a list of ten, twenty formidable experiments in parapsychology and alternative science, which show very clearly that we don't know, and that we have to accept that we don't know, because if we don't accept that we don't know, we are not even searching for answers. And we have to search for those answers, not to have this tamasic sufficiency, this laziness, in which we simply say, I think it's enough what we got, now we can sleep quietly. It's not enough. There are a lot of things which we do not explain, and consequently, there are a lot of things which we cannot do. We cannot predict earthquakes yet, We cannot heal cancer properly yet. We cannot produce anti-gravitation and fly yet. There are lots of things which we cannot do. And uh, we uh, uh, stupidly declare ourselves like, but it's okay. No, it's not okay. There is much to be known, much to be found out. And therefore, the simple level of astrology is studying these energies. Either these energies are known or yet unknown, and what effects they have. And we can say, um, Walter has got a lot of fire energy, whatever that means, Ro, it's a symbol in astrology and in yoga, and because Walter has a lot of fire energy, then his body reacts like this and like that, and then his mind and emotions react like this and like that. That's the first level of astrology. And the second level, the advanced level, is to realize that these energies are not just dead energies. Well, so it happens that Saturn and Jupiter radiate some energy, and normal people think that it doesn't matter, and parapsychologists and astrologers think that it might matter, and your kidneys are working better or not so good, because the Saturn, when you were born, was in a position or in another position. But the advanced level is to realize that these influences are intelligent. That exactly like we speak in evolutionism, in uh, biology, as we speak about the intelligent design. It's not enough to say that horses evolved from zebras or whatever, and uh, no, the Darwin system, Lamarck and others, the, the modern systems of biological evolutionists. But that there is an intelligent force clicking the fingers and saying now, like which decides when and what happens. They don't happen like throwing dice. They don't happen randomly and unintelligently. In the same way, the movements of the planets, of the stars, of the houses in astrology, like the Earth's energy and others, they are not just, uh, oops, what to do? This is how Jupiter was, and therefore this is how the consequence is. No, 
these consequences and these things are intelligent. There is an intelligent design. They happen with a meaning, which means that these energies which we study, they have an informational component to it. It's not just energy. It's energy which gives an information, exactly like you can say when you get a signal to a computer. Ultimately, it's electricity. It's an electric cable which sends signals to the computer. But those signals are zeros and ones put in a certain sequence. So it's not only energy. The computer does not care like, oh, you gave me five volts of electricity. Electricity with a voltage of five volts. The computer cares about the fact that that energy may be beep 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 and so on, and it says something. Therefore, the energy which we receive from the universe, the planets, and the Earth's layer, protective layer, is an energy which is containing information. Therefore, there is an intelligence behind it, and this intelligence and information produces synchronicities. That means here we are talking about time, destiny, and other very important topics. And this is what the ancient philosophers had called the music of spheres. That it's like all so synchronized, and it's related with karma and free will, and the dharma and the will of God, and with intelligent energies and information, that they simply mystically called it, it's like a complex music of spheres. So this is where we talk about advanced astrology. Advanced astrology is not just studying the thing that Walter has a lot of fire and therefore he will be a kid or a human being full of fire. That's level one. But the advanced level is that this may have influence upon a lot of other things like destiny, decisions, time flow, synchronicities, informational contact with the universe, like the universe talks to us and we talk back to the universe and there is there a much more complex transfer of energy. Ultimately, if astrology works or not, today the skeptics, the materialists, they say it doesn't. It's cataloged as pseudoscience. If you go on Wikipedia and look at the list of pseudoscience, it's very long and definitely astrology is quoted as a pseudoscience. This dialogue existed even 400 years ago when the astrologer, I'm sorry, the astronomer Halley, the one who discovered the famous comet of Halley, which comes back every 75 years, this astrologer called Halley challenged Sir Isaac Newton of how was it possible that a man so intelligent in physics and mathematics and other sciences like him actually believed or gave credence to astrology. And the first thing which Sir Isaac Newton, who was indeed remarkable, this man discovered calculus independently together with Leibniz at the age of 26. At the age of 26 he had finished defining calculus like integral, differential, and other mathematics, plus that he did a lot of other things in science. This Isaac Newton, when Arthur Halley said, how is it possible? Are you stupid? You know, you are a scientist. Astrology seems to be uh, an imaginary, a pseudoscience, you know? 
and Isaac Newton answered like a Capricorn would in a utilitarian, earthy way. He said, sir. He answered very politely, right? Civil, like a scientist would do. He said, sir, I have studied it. You have not. That means, said, let me teach you astrology for five years and then you come and tell me if it fits or if it doesn't fit, if it works or it doesn't work. That means study astrology on a thousand people around you in your life. And then when you will see that it 95% fits and works, then you are going to shake your head and say, this is not coincidence. Scientifically, there do not exist coincidences. Scientifically, this shows that here there is something very, very relevant. And thus, uh, from the standpoint of parapsychology and from the standpoint of yoga, astrology is a real science. And I can tell you only this much. I have known first about astrology probably some 40 years ago, 30-something years ago. I have looked into myself and into the people around me and into the surrounding world testing astrology. I have a background in physics, in science, and I'm in engineering, and I know how to be skeptical when one has to be skeptical and when some things look completely insane. And after 38 years of having looked or whatever, of having 37, whatever it was, of having looked into astrology, I can tell you like Isaac Newton, I have studied it. And it actually, 99%, it seems to work. It works most of the time and it is an admirable instrument. That's why being a yoga teacher, I decided also to bring this yogic angle like from the standpoint of a yogi, what is relevant about astrology? Like why should we call these courses, these workshops that we do once or two times per year, why should we call it yogic astrology? What would it bring new? Because sure, I'm sure that out there in the world there would exist schools and courses in simple astrology. There would exist, of course, there are the Sunday Magazine Astrology, which is a pathetic level of getting uh, in, involved with astrology. It's hardly scientific and rational and so on. But there would be people who claim to teach astrology out there. So why does Agama need to teach astrology? Why do I need to teach astrology? Why call it yogic astrology? What does it bring separate from the standpoint of a yogi. Because we who are in yoga, we use astrology on a daily basis. You meet with somebody, you know, it's, you ask them, hey, hi, what's your name? My name is Walter. You know? And when you know that the name of the person is Oscar or Walter, pretty much the second or the third question which one asks is what is your astrological sign? And it's not stereotypical. People from the most varied psychological trends, they use this knowledge simply because they discovered how useful it is, how much it tells you immediately. No? Of course, if you ask a person, what are you, Russian or French? No? Or American or Brazilian or whatever you are. No? Then people will say, I'm from United States of America you know, or something. And then that's also an information which might help you or not. 
But then the, definitely if it was not the second question, the third question is, and what astrological sign are you? Now, if you wouldn't be afraid to be scary, you would say, what's your astrological sign? What's your ascendant? And what is your moon sign? You know, like you'd be into a interrogant, into FBI interrogation, you know, like tell me the things. But at least tell me what astrological sign you are. So we know that it is being used a lot, sim- and it's used a lot simply because it resists the test of time. You know, it just gives you information which is useful and which is uh, good. And therefore, what angle do we bring when we say yogic astrology? Astrology for the yogis. First of all, we see that in the yogic astrology there is less emphasis on the mundane issues. I know people, they would go to an astrologer and say, do I get married? Will I have kids? Will I ever be rich? The yogis admit that a lot depends on the free will and a lot depends on the sadhana, on the tapasya, on the practice. And that the influences from astrology can be mitigated and modified. That's why most yogis... They are happy to know about mundane things, what I have in the house of my children and what I have in the house of my friends and stuff like this, but they don't take it as an absolute value. That's why yogic astrology focuses less on these mundane issues. Of course, we in Agama, this is a tantric yoga school and therefore we give a lot of value to the universe, to the mother nature, to the Prakriti to the manifested world and therefore it's not wrong from a tantric yoga standpoint to know hey now I understand why my financial abilities are um, reduced and I'm not good with money and making money or why I am a workaholic or why um, I have never had good relationships with the opposite gender or some things like that. So, of course, even yogis are interested in these things. But the yogis are interested, as you will see later, they are interested more in an active, in a proactive way, like to do something about it. And therefore, the yogis, if an astrologer gives them a reading and tells them a lot of things about career, family, health, whatever, surely the yogi says, oh, this astrologer told me that my digestive system is weak. And now I understand, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, I never had any health problem. From time to time, I had an indigestion, a food poisoning or something. There is something a bit sensitive and vulnerable with my digestive system. That can be seen in your horoscope. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to discuss about it and to see some things about it. But again... In yogic astrology, there is a less obsession with these mundane bourgeois things that you want to analyze your daily life from the stem. Anybody who wishes can, but those who are more interested in spirituality and in yoga, they look more in other places. There are more concerns in the yogic astrology, for example, about free will or free choice. Like if in my horoscope says that I could have female offspring, like a daughter, or two, or three, and I actually don't have any biological children, how does that explain? 
how much of a choice I can make in my life to be able to decide on something which is different than is written in my astral chart. This is a very important thing because the yogis want to be free. They want to govern their lives towards higher state of states of consciousness. They want to maybe not do too many bourgeois and mundane things and focus on pure research, on pure spiritual research in the human nature and other thrilling subjects. And because of this, the yogis are interested more to see a horoscope or astrological uh, readings concerning free will, free choice. It's also a philosophical thing, like how much can we veer away from our astrological nature? How much can we bend that and how much will never change? Like I'm born with brown eyes, my eyes will generally stay brown unless some super event happens. My eyes will be hazelnut color or whatever color they have all the time. All the time. No? And there are therefore things which we cannot change, like things in our DNA and so on. And the same with the horoscopes and with astrology. This kind of thing to know what you can change and what cannot be changed, and therefore how to use it creatively. If it can't be changed, then at least it can be used in the right direction. The yogic astrology has always more interest and filters both interest and filters, like tries to understand things through this filter, but also is interested in how this works regarding the chakras and the elements, usually the five elements from metaphysics. No? Like the yogis are interested, if I am born in the astrological sign of the Aries, does that mean that it does something to my Manipura chakra? Does it mean that my Manipura chakra is influenced by the astrological sign in which I am born and actually my nature outside of the astrological sign, like after I'm dead my, or before I was born, my nature has not so much Manipura chakra and now I have so much fire and so much Manipura chakra just for 80 years because I am born under the astrological sign of the Aries or other similar influences. So the yogic thing would be like, how does it work on my chakras? Why should I work more? That says that I have a weakness in my heart chakra. Then I have to correspondingly work on my heart chakra in my yogic practice and so on. And the elements, you know, am I more earthy? Am I more fiery? When I get uh, old and my vata dosha from Ayurveda gets amplified, that corresponds to the air element. How does the air element work in my structure and what can I expect and so on. So the yogic astrology, would all, everything which we do when we teach astrology is telling people the relationship with the chakras, with the elements. And those are super important because they tell you both to know yourself, but also how to practice, what to do, what to understand. Of course, yogic astrology, I said it implicitly, will then have a greater interest about self-knowledge and self-development. Like, who am I? What qualities do I have? I want to become uh, a great musician and uh, sing on stage. Like, I don't know what pop star or music star. Yeah, but the question is, have you got it in you? 
or are you swimming against the stream? Because some people, when they were 10 years old, they were singing on a stage already. And you, at the age of 40, have been cooped in a box and shy and lacking self-confidence. And now suddenly you want to become a superstar going on the stage. But what does your astrology say? Maybe you should mail packages like Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon. You know, maybe you should become a mailman because you are organized, meticulous, persevering this. And you can do a business of billions of dollars there. But going on a stage will be a fiasco. So a yogi always wants to understand, shall I be a teacher of yoga? Or shall I rather keep my anonymity and be a practicing yogi in the background? Why? Because I have talents to teach or I don't have talents in teaching. Yeah? So therefore, the yogic astrology wants to tell you a lot about self-knowledge. Know yourself. Life is short. You don't have time to increase some things from zero to... If you, if you don't have, if the astrology is against you. I am very talented at this. Then why shouldn't I do this? My grandfather gave me a ship, a wonderful ship... And I want to build myself a railroad. But you should be a sailor because you got a ship already. You know, you should not become a railroad tycoon when nobody, you know, when you don't have that infrastructure. No, if you are born with a ship or two in your family, then you are a ship owner. Use your life in that direction because, you know, can my free will and my free choice go against? Yes. But only if you have an exceptionally good reason, only if you have a very, very wise reason, can you go against that. Otherwise, the intelligent way to do is use what you have. You have a ship, then you sail, for God's sake. You are a sailor if you have a ship in your yard, in, your, in front of your house, parked on a pier in front of your house. No, it's completely unintelligent to burn the ship and start doing something else, except in some unique circumstances. I'm not saying absolutely not, but generally there. So the yogis are interested in this self-knowledge. Where am I strong? Where am I weak? What's good with me? And all that. And about self-development. In which direction am I developing in the next 30 years? What is going to be, uh, you know, I want to have children and develop a lot of patience because usually I don't like children and I don't have patience to deal with children. You know, like, is that really your self-development? Is that what God wants from you? Is that what Mother Nature expects from you? Is that the best you can come up with? No, like, isn't that a pretty much useless skill in the big picture or at least now haven't you got something more important to do right now isn't there something more urgent yogis want to use astrology for this self-knowledge know your strong parts weak parts and for self-development what to develop next what is either urgent dramatically low or what is good and strong in you and needs to be used Also, when we study yogic astrology, we are very much interested in the remedial measures. 
Like the fact that you say my Mars is in cancer and it's in detriment and it's in a weak position, then what? Are you just going to sit and cry because your Mars is in cancer and all your life be a victim of that? No. The intelligent thing is, now I understand why I have this kind of weakness in my life. What can I do about it? And remedial measures means what yoga to do, on what chakra to work, what techniques. It's better to do asanas or it's better to do meditation for my type of structure. What mantras to use, what yantras to use, what rituals to use, what cosmic powers or mahavidyas to connect with. If there is something in parapsychology or radionics or something which can give me the compensation things. The famous story about using stones, metals and other things for bringing remedial measures. How to bring remedial measures. It's not a passive science. It's something where you describe where you come out with what was given to you and then what you make out of it. And last but not least, in yogic astrology, we have an interest about integrating this astrology with the evolution and the rest of yoga. You hear that some people have become great by doing kundalini yoga, and some people have become great by doing jnana yoga. Some people have become great by studying Theravada Buddhism, the Hinayana Buddhism, and some people have become great by worshipping in a Sufi Darga or in a Christian monastery. What is best? How do I integrate my fresh knowledge about astrology from a yogic standpoint? How do I integrate it with the rest of the yoga and with the evolution? No, in, in yogic astrology, it is said, for example, that the human beings evolve in cycles, which starts with the astrological sign of the Aries, and end with the astrological sign of the Pisces. And each sign has a meaning, like the Aries is the baby, and the Pisces is the end of life. No? And therefore, where am I in all this? No, there is a house of marriage, there is a house of sexuality, there is a house of money, there is a house of this and that, you know. Where am I in all this cycle of evolution? In a cycle of 12 lifetimes in which I could be born in each and every astrological sign one by one, where am I now? And therefore, what does my evolution require? In which direction am I going? Which is the maximum test and challenge that I have in this lifetime. This is the interest of the yogic astrology. The yogic astrology looks at astrology as a practical instrument to deal with the things from the universe, from the environment of yoga. If I am a Leo... And uh, I am getting a girlfriend which is a Pisces. Having sex as a Leo with my girlfriend who is a Pisces will bring Pisces influences and energies and transformations in my aura, in my system or not. Is it good to do it or is it not? Do all the Leos fit with all the Pisces 
or in my case it's a yes and in the case of a friend of mine who is in a similar situation it's actually a no simply because the personal horoscopes of those two are different so how to apply it in relationships how to apply it in the flow of time predictive astrology which country is better for me should i live in thailand or should i live in germany no astrocartography the geo astrology the astrology about the places on earth because those also matter and the list could continue so much that's why i think astrology can be very practical and very exact i personally have verified it and for me it works wonderfully anybody who would verify it would discover the same and when we teach yogic astrology we teach it in relationship to yoga what are we interested in as yogis evolution development self knowledge self improvement chakras elements destiny free will and other such important issues which are there and therefore that's what we do when we teach yogic astrology we give you the entry ticket into this fascinating world of how to blend proper astrology traditional scientific rational numbers really and how to mix it with yoga and how to mix it with your personal practice and personal life this is i think one of the very very thrilling fields of experience dealing with astrology in a yogic way well this was all i wish to tell you at this time if you are interested come and study yogic astrology here in agama and you are going to see very very interesting things with this i'm greeting you